0: Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay, and our special guest this episode is Carmelita Valdez McCoy, whom you've heard on the Dana Buckler Show with Mike on the 20th Century Movie Club, and you should be following on Twitter at Carmelita Says. Carmelita, thanks so much for coming on Film Strip. Tell folks a little bit about yourself.
1: Hey Jay, thank you so much for asking me. I'm really excited to be here talking a movie with you. Uh, you know, I'm a pop culture junkie, lifelong movie fan. I love talking movies. I love watching movies, going to the movies. I have real no, no real qualifications other than I could talk about movies all day long.
0: you fit right <laughs> and in here. Really,
1: <laughs> yeah, I've just been really fortunate to to meet so many awesome people over time who have these incredible podcasts and that they're nice enough to ask me to come and talk movies with them here and there, so...
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so excited you're here because you're an expert on tonight's subject and we'll get into that. (laughs) We are reviewing Fright Night, starring William Ragsdale, Chris Sarandon, Amanda Beer, Stephen Jeffries, and Roddy McDowell. Written and directed by Tom Holland, released in 1985, massive hit, has remained a favorite in the horror community for decades uh, had got its own sequel, got a remake that also got a weird sequel. We can talk about all that as we go into it. But Carmelita, what's your background with Fright Night and then with vampires, too? Because that's really why I brought you on here. You're the vampire expert.
1: Oh, yeah. I love vampire movies, which is why this is interesting. Because I did not catch Fright Night in the 80s. And it's not because I was too young. Because I think like I've heard you talk about and like so many other folks of an age... You know, I mean, I watched whatever my dad was watching. There, Anything went. I was watching rated R movies. There was no, <laughs> there was no question about whether something was appropriate. We just watched everything. Right. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I did not catch this movie in the 80s. It wasn't until adulthood that I circled back. After many years of rapidly consuming vampire flicks, uh i think i really got into vampire films in the 90s it was a little darker in the 90s it was a little sexier in the 90s it hit me at that time in my life when i wanted to be dark and mysterious Um, and so in the 90s i really got into uh vampire films kind of more of the the horror drama category And then over time would circle back and catch some of the other ones that I had missed. And so this is one that it took me a while.
0: That is so cool to hear because I can't remember a time when this movie wasn't in my life. I mean, I didn't see it in theaters. I was too young for that. But my parents would rent this kind of stuff for us. I mean, the same bit. They'd let us watch it. They'd watch it with us. Um, I happen to have grown up with a grandmother who liked like Alfred Hitchcock's suspense, all those kind of movies. So oh, I would awesome. watch that stuff at her house. So I got to watch horror movies. And I remember renting this one with my folks strictly based off that VHS box art with that unbelievable vampire face. I think that's actually the Amy character's face that for years, I thought it was the Chris or Amy character, but, but it's, it's that over that big house. And just this movie just made an impression. Like I had dreams about it, but not nightmares necessarily, but just more Mm. like the continued adventures of Jerry, the vampire, which I still can't get over Jerry, the vampire, but, (laughs) but yeah, I, you know, I vampires for me, not necessarily my go to in the horror genre. I don't hate them, but I don't just seek them out necessarily either. But I have seen a lot of vampire movies. I think you're referencing some of the stuff in the 90s that I probably saw too, some of the Anne Rice stuff and a lot of those oh, things yeah. that were going on. I mean, it was huge. You couldn't escape it, it was everywhere. And this movie, I just remember seeing this and then talking about it with like my friends. And, you know, they would try to sneak it and watch it, you know, and I would catch it on cable every now and then or something. And like I say, I just can't remember a time when this movie wasn't in my life. And it wasn't until years later that I even knew there was a Fright Night 2. Because it wasn't like that movie was easy to find. And in fact, I've I've only ever seen it on YouTube. And, um, you know, so I've been a fan of Fright Night for years. My wife and I met. She liked horror movies, too. We've watched this one. We watched this one together for this, too. And we actually went and saw the remake in theaters together, too. So I've got a whole Fright Night story here. But, yeah, this one like I say, is one that uh, I've just always had, I think. And I, I just remember so much about it. But every time I watch it, I pick up on something new. I think that's one of its lasting effects. And, you know, Tom Holland is one of those horror guys that I think everybody knows him for child's play, right? But you yep. might forget that this was the other thing he did. And it's a huge property. And he's still involved with it. He was involved with those remakes.
1: Well, and I think that this film, it's pivotal in in the whole vampire film thing like it's it's at a real critical point in the progression of how vampire films go and I think you know over time it kind of comes and goes but this is this is like a landmark film for that and I think one of the fun things about coming to this later in life is that you know, sometimes you know, people will build things up. And this is a movie that had been built up for me that, oh, you love vampire movies. How have you not seen this? You have to see it. it's like one of the greatest. Right. And you always worry like, OK, well, I wasn't I didn't see it in the 80s. It might not hold up. Everybody loves it, but maybe they got their nostalgia goggles on. I am here to tell you that that is not the case. It holds up. It's not purely a nostalgia thing. This is a good movie. It's a good vampire flick. And it's so rewatchable. Since I saw it the first time, I've gone back and revisited it since. It's really enjoyable. And there is, it's it's a pretty simple story, but there's a lot you can dive into. We're going to have a fun discussion.
0: I've always thought of that. This movie is like the perfect marriage of the Brat Pack, John Hughes, eighties movies and vampires or and horror movies, you know, and there's even a commentary in it. You know, the Rodney McDowell character talks about how, Oh, I'm sure you would just want to see some masked person run around and stab people. And I'm a big slasher mm-hmm. guy. I mean, I love that stuff, but I'm like, yeah, I, I feel you. You know, like th- this is something that's from a different time, but it does totally remake it and introduces it for a new generation. Generation. And I mean, we're talking about it here, you know, 35 plus years later, and it still works. And so, you know, we're, we're going to get absolutely, into, yeah, we're going to get into all the details of it here. But let me do a quick plot summary, maybe for folks who haven't seen Fright Night in a while or aren't sure. Spoilers hot here. Charlie Brewster, played by William Ragsdale, is convinced that his new neighbor, Jerry Dandridge, yes, that's his name, is a vampire. <laughs> and this alienates him from his girlfriend, Amy, his school frenemy, Ed, sometimes called evil. And Charlie begs everyone to believe him, even the cops, who all dismiss this as the fantasies of a teenage lunatic. Jerry gets kind of tired of this, though, and eventually comes over to meet Charlie and his mother and reveals to Charlie that he is indeed a vampire and that Charlie is next for outing him. Charlie finds a way out of this, though, but knows a big showdown is coming. So he turns to the one person who he thinks can help, the late-night horror TV host Peter Vincent, who made a career out of playing Van Helsing-type characters in cheap horror movies. Charlie's pleas fall on deaf ears, but Amy and Ed are able to convince and bribe Peter into helping It all goes to hell, though, when Jerry proves to be much more frightening than any of them realized. Jerry also fixates on Amy, who looks like a dead ringer for a woman in a painting that he owns. Jerry turns Ed into a wolf, vampire, raggedy Ann hybrid thing. We're going to talk about that. And begins to turn Amy. Charlie and Peter team up, and they take out one of Jerry's minions, and they begin to fight him, trying to kill him before sunrise, and the battle ensues inside Jerry's house. Peter stakes Ed, who's masquerading as Charlie's mother, and is left for dead. And as the sun comes up, Peter and Charlie are able to break windows in Jerry's basement, letting in enough sunlight to turn Jerry into dust. Amy's return to normal and Peter goes back to his TV show, tossing subtle winks at Charlie on his next episode and Charlie and Amy make out while Ed watches from across the yard in Jerry's abandoned house as the next episode of Fright Night plays and credits roll. And that's kind of a straightforward way to walk through the movie there. That's pretty much everything that happens, but, oh man, there's a whole lot more here. And I think the, the way to get into it is just to talk about our people here. Right. And you know, we talked a little bit about vampire movies and where they were in the eighties. And, Dead doesn't really describe it. Like no one was making or talking <laughs> about vampire movies in the 1980s unless they were like cheap, you know, Dracula knockoffs, you know, and stuff like that. I like think George Hamilton was in one. And, you know, he mm-hmm. had once bitten with uh uh Jim Carrey, a very young Jim Carrey and Lauren Hutton. Yeah. they were all played for jokes. It, there was nothing really serious or scary about them anymore.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's it's like you have you know, back in the 70s, late 60s, you had like Hammer horror films, you know, when it's scary. But of course, because of the time, looking back on it now, it can be perceived as a little exploitative or cheesy or pulpy. Um, and you get into the 80s and yeah, it's pretty much dead. Like it's horror comedies. It's like vampire films are all about jokes at the expense of, of the vampire characters, very over the top, definitely more funny than scary.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, leaning more into the comedy side. And look, yeah, teenage movies at the time were dramedies. They were they were dramas with a lot of comedy in them. Again, I talk about the John Hughes movies and all, all of that ilk of stuff, you know. It was always putting teenagers in these ridiculously adult situations. If you go back and watch those 80s movies, it's it's insane to think about that. That's what you know, teenagers were put in, but whatever. I mean, you've got that going on, or you've got the teenager rebel types, you know, the outsiders and Red Dawn and all of that kind of stuff, which is just a different ilk of film. And as far as horror movies went in 1985, I mean, at that point, there were three Halloweens, one of which had nothing to do with Michael Myers and no one understood. Um, You had about, I don't I think we're getting up to around five or six of the Friday the 13th movies. There's three or four Freddy movies. And then you have all their knockoffs underneath them. So it was very much a genre that was dominated by the slasher killer. And these classic monsters were just sort of left in the dustbin. Well,
1: you know, what's really interesting. You you brought up that, uh, the line from the film, about, you know, the kids these days want slashers. And I think what's kind of interesting is that Fright Night is very meta with comments like that about kind of the the decline of the creature feature mm-hmm. and this kind of shift in horror to slashers. And the meta aspect of this film is one of the the funnest things about it. And it's kind of like what Scream did for the slasher in the 90s. The meta thing really works when something has been overdone to death and people are sick of it and they've moved on and you can kind of revive it by just being upfront with the fact that it's been overdone and that people have kind of moved on and you can breathe new life into it that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's start with our vampire here, Jerry. I, I still just laugh at the, the, the mundaneness of this, of like, there's a vampire named Jerry and he moves in next door. And I'm like, well, there's something so ridiculous about that, but it also kind of works too.
1: No, absolutely. I think my favorite thing is that how genius is it for a blood sucking vampire to hide in plain sight as a playboy yuppie? Yes. Cause the yuppies were like that symbol in the eighties of greed and consumerism and excess. It's perfect if you want to move to the suburbs and just feed off of the female population, this is the way to do it.
0: Right. Yeah. That's the whole, the whole bit is that he just moves in next door and all these, you know, scantily clad women start coming to his house and, you know, he's undressing them in the windows. Charlie gets to see this. Of course we get all the gratuitous, you know, parts of the eighties, the you know, horror traps of nudity, but you also have like this, what I called really thinly veiled porn music going on, you know, which, which sparked a lot of weird discussions <laughs> in my house about how do you know that? But I mean, really, it's what you imagine to be like, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I didn't realize that Brad Fidel did the score here. He did the original Terminator score. And the, the Terminator score mm. that you all know, da-da-da-da-da, that's Brad Fidel. And I'm like, this totally fits. It's that synth sort of knockoff John Carpenter, again, sleazy music. And the fact that Jerry Dandridge, like you say, is basically one of the Wall Street characters just hanging out in suburbia with his coffin and his servant person. And they they, they live in this old house and they're just kind of there to drain the place dry and then move on to the next place.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can just imagine that if, if Charlie hadn't caught on, he would have just been having cab loads of young women come to the house they disappear he'd do that for a while and then move on maybe or yeah. i mean he could just go on like that indefinitely
0: yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's a smart way to introduce that character into this place too because we, we don't really think about I mean, a lot of people think about the 80s and think about like the economic boom and that was really like 1986 on mm. In the early part of the 80s, everybody was recovering from the 70s. Yes. So everybody was still really careful. We'd come out of a recession. You know, it, there were houses for sale all the time like this. And so it, it would be a great place to hide. And that's a good chance to talk about Charlie. Maybe the most annoying teenage <sighs> oh character gosh. I've ever seen in a movie. This guy <laughs> is, is a piece of work. <laughs> it's the only way I know how to say it.
1: He's such a little immature jerk. Yes. And he, he comes at Jerry Dandridge so hard. He is, just has a vendetta out against him. Like out the gate, the minute he sees that coffin, and he's so nosy, he he is hell bent on getting involved in this situation. And it's like everything that happens, he totally brought it on himself.
0: Well, there's there's two things Charlie's interested in: sex with his girlfriend. And vampires, and he's and he's kind of obsessed <laughs> with them at the same time. When we meet him, that's what's happening. He's making out with Amy in the floor of his house while Fright Night is on in the corner, and Peter Vincent's happening. And I mean, Amy even tries to distract him, like, "Hey, Peter Vincent's on. Don't you want to watch? That's your favorite thing on Earth." And uh, it's just it's just funny to watch him be such a teenager and such a jerk. But the the other part of it, is it makes you, what makes you like him, is you realize. He's right and no one believes him. And that's implied every teenager can, can
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, every young person can relate to, I mean, nothing this life or death, but you know, adults aren't hearing me. I'm trying to tell them something and they do not hear me. They do not understand and they don't hear me. And and Charlie's, you know, yeah, Charlie's not wrong for sure. Yeah. He's he's correct.
0: But you're right. He does come at him with like both barrels from the get-go. Real and, hard. Yeah. I mean, he's got the spy glasses, you know, he's looking across the road. And I'm, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where I wasn't that close to my neighbors, but like you didn't look at other people's houses. I'm always amazed by that when I see it in movies. I'm like, who would do that? I didn't
1: Yeah, do who that. does that? Yeah. Well, you know what what struck me this time that I thought was interesting, and you and you mentioned that his obsession about you know, hooking up with his girlfriend and vampires. A lot of the characters in this movie are very frustrated Mm. by their love life or their lack of. And I think what's really interesting about this is that the vampire thing aside, a guy like Jerry Dandridge is all the things that the average teenager like Charlie would want to be. Right well-dressed, successful, has his own place, independent, no problems, hooking up and attracting partners. And, you know, so he's kind of a threat to Charlie in that. And and some of the, the characters around Charlie's orbit, his mother, his girlfriend, they all kind of fall under the sway of Jerry Dandridge. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, you know, Jerry is all of the things that Charlie... You know, as just you know, he's a he's a kid, is all the things that Charlie is not, and and I I, I this time around I kind of wondered like how much of how hard he goes after Jerry. Is a little jealousy.
0: Oh, you know that's a great way to read it. I've never thought about it like that, but that's a that's a very interesting read in the movie. That maybe he's slightly jealous of Jerry before he knows he's a you know, killer <laughs> before he knows or the whatever. Member. But yeah, it's it's just like man, this guy has it all. He never leaves the house, so clearly <laughs> he's super rich. He's dressed to the nines with that pop collar and all that stuff. He's clearly healthy. Look at how much fruit he eats, and you know when he bites the apples in half and all that stuff. And he's he's just this dark, mysterious, and you got, you got to say, Chris Sarandon really, really just exudes the I don't know overall sleaziness that this yes. character is supposed to have. But he's kind of suave with it too. He's not just a total you know jerk out of the gate. Like you, you can see how you could fall under the vampire thrall of a guy like
1: absolutely, especially again for that time period, tan, well dressed guy that looks like Chris ran I mean, yeah, that was kind of the ideal that was put out there for the average person. So, I mean, he's all of those things and it, it works. And, and I like that they, that they did update the vampire for the time. Cause you know, in previous generations of vampire films, a lot of times doesn't matter where the vampire is. He looks kind of Victorian. Right. They always kind of look kind of Victorian. Um, and, in this film he's a he's living in the 80s and he had we don't know how long Jerry has lived as the undead but here he is and he's going with the times and he's hiding in plain sight.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and he's it's got very effective. And he, he's got his own minion, you know, Billy Cole who lives with him who I'm not really sure what Billy is exactly. Maybe zombie? I don't I don't know what he is. So there's there's certain little
1: vampire lore things that are sprinkled in this movie but never explained. And I think he's supposed – I think Billy's supposed to be his familiar. Right. Like the human – he's kind of like the Renfield character in Dracula. Yeah. The human who can do the bidding of the vampire during the day and go to the places that the vampire cannot. And, you know, like deflect suspicion like when the cops show up. He's able to answer questions, provide an alibi. He's able to help clean up and keep up appearances. Yeah. So that's kind of one of those vampire lore things that, you know, a vampire will be the master of a human who kind of does their bidding.
0: I I hear you. That's great. For years, I thought this guy was Bill Paxton, and it's not. But (laughs) boy, he looks a lot like him. He
1: looks a lot like him.
0: I, and kind of, I kind of want now. I kind of want to retcon this and go back to the future and <laughs> cast Bill Paxton in this. Sorry, Jonathan Stark. <laughs> Nobody take work from you, but that would be that would be ultimately cool. But Bill Paxton was doing cool stuff like Streets of Fire right now. So oh yeah, uh, he, that would have been epic done.
1: though. I'm with you on that. But yeah,
0: exactly. But but you but you know you get this whole idea. The thing about Jerry is that everybody that comes into contact with him, except Charlie, falls in love with him. Like it's it's a subtext in this movie. But him and Billy are like real good friends. You know, like, and, and you know, he's kind of leaning on him and stuff. And they mm-hmm. replay that in Scream too, years later, with the way Skeet Ulrich and and uh, Matthew Lillard are kind of all over each other as, yeah. as you know guy friends. It's just different. I'm not saying anything wrong. It's, it's just a, it's a subtext. that's there. It's like everybody that's around Jerry falls in love with him because when Amy meets him before he you know does the whole nightclub thing with her, like she's just enamored with him. And Ed, of course, is. I mean, he is the. You know, total geek. We gotta have the geek friend, right? The friend of me, I called him because these an 80s movie, not, yeah, <laughs> right. This dude, like, is totally sold in and he loves this guy. And it's I don't know, it's just it's funny to watch those two go. Now, I got a question for you about Amy, because at first she's pushing Charlie off of her in that first scene. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she starts getting undressed and then gets really ticked off when he is way more interested in what's happening across the street. I I was like, "What? I don't poor Amy, like just seesaws back and forth. So much.
1: This is my take on Amy. I think the Amy character, I think what I, what I took from it is that, you know, she's a teenage girl. She's. Coming of age, coming into her sexuality, she's, you know, having this young love relationship with Charlie, not sure if she's ready, maybe she's ready, maybe she's not, but she's definitely more mature than Charlie. And I think that starts to come through too, like maybe at first she's not really sure, I get the impression that Charlie is not very experienced. So she kind of seems unsure and then she kind of decides, okay, let's go for it. And then he becomes distracted and she's like, what, (laughs) what is going on? What, what do I have to do here? Right. And so I, there's a lot of, you can tell there's a lot of, she has a lot of frustration with his immaturity throughout the film.
0: Yeah, my my wife called him like the biggest jerk ever because she runs down the stairs. They're having an argument. Mom interrupts. They kind of get busted there because she's like, "Do you want to have sex or not?" And then the mom's like, "Hey kids, what's <laughs> going on?" You know, it's like, "Uh oh!" And then he totally blows her off so he can look out the window some more. He's yeah, get like, yeah, see seat at school, and she's like, ah, you know, and she tells she's mad at him. about it. And then the next day at school, she just totally blows by him and make sure she hits him too, which is the way to (laughs) let somebody know that you're mad at them in high school. I remember those days.
1: Yeah, no, she's, I think they're playing up kind of the, that the young, immature and experienced relationship and all of the kind of roller coaster up and down of that, which is, I, I think early in the movie can get a little tedious. You're like, okay, I don't care if they're fighting, whatever. Uh, But it helps to have laid that groundwork of how frustrating their teenage relationship is to show how primed and ready she is to be seduced by Jerry Dandridge.
0: Right. Uh, we got to talk about her two seduction scenes too, because I mean, they lay it on thick. That whole nightclub scene is—that is some steamy, skinemax, late night stockings action going on. That music's pumping. Jerry's just bringing her in, and they're doing. I'm like, like they tease her hair up in the middle of it, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I was sitting there going, like, did she like step out and you know do that up real quick or something? (laughs) It was so weird, but but it's so perfect too because. She's, she's going through all those same emotions. She kind of pushes them away. Then she draws herself close to him and starts clawing Mm at him. And, you know, they're grabbing each other. And I got to say, Amanda Beers and Chris Randy go for it. I mean, they really put on the thick show there in that scene.
1: That is one of my favorite scenes. I think it's great at building the tension because we know what Jerry Dandridge is under that facade we've seen him we've seen one of his turns into like the scary monster vampire earlier mm-hmm. so we know what's underneath we know he's dangerous and and you can see that conflict within her of being drawn to him but being kind of scared and not knowing what to do and kind of doing it anyway and it, the whole scene is great it's this dark club and there's people everywhere, but no one else in this club knows the danger that she's in. It just looks like a couple on the dance floor who should probably go get a room somewhere. Right. And that's exactly what and it nobody like. knows. Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows the danger she's in. It's great. The tension building.
0: Oh yeah, and and like you say the the evolution of what they show us in the vampire stages here is one of the coolest things about this movie. He doesn't just get the two straight fangs. You know, I I I've never been able to find proof of this, but I always felt like the makeup people that did the vampire faces on Buffy the Vampire Slayer loved this movie in some way because mm. they're all a little different. Like the mouths get a little they get a little wonky. They're not perfect. It's not just straight fangs. It's like a whole mouthful of razors, you know, or something. And when they
1: yeah, and and you know, the face distorts. The coloring of the face, yes. the shape of the face changes.
0: Yeah, you get all of that. You get the thriller eye makeup. You've got all of that going on. Which this is borrowed a lot from American Werewolf in London and and all of that stuff. Clearly, but I I love watching that that transformation. And the the cool thing that they do, they put those finger extensions on Chris Sarandon. So his fingers are just ridiculously long with these nails, you know, and he's got that one woman over there and he's caressing her and he's taking off her shirt and, you know, he knows Charlie's watching and he just, you know, his hands just transform from one scene to the next. She is totally in his moment and has no idea what's about to happen to her. Until, you know, the lights go out, he bites her and you hear her scream in the night. And it's...
1: that's Done deal, too late. Yeah,
0: right, it's too late. And that's the thing about vampires, right? Always, like their lore is that they can pull you in and and you don't realize the danger you're in until you're that close. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of sexual politics involved in vampire creation anyway, and w- in the relationship of what Absolutely. they're doing and, and what they're tailing on here is that this inexperienced girl who thinks she's ready to take that next step is not going to take it with her teenage boyfriend. Who's also inexperienced. It doesn't always do. She's going to go after the older guy, the bad boy and all that stuff. And she's just, you know, she's just allured by it and there's nothing more frustrating as a teenage guy than for the girls that you like to like somebody older than you like that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, yeah, I've lived that life.
1: It's a common scenario, which is why this works so well. It's that familiar and the, that we can relate to the humanity of a vampire story. Yeah. The vampire gets to be this symbol for things that we experience in real life.
0: Yes. The symbol of the unknown, the exotic.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Uh, And so that's one of the great things about this movie is, is that I think it's, it's really well balanced in terms of what the vampires are and how they're represented and how they transform. It's a great mix of like the hard horror with the body transformation. Uh, But we do also get this kind of flavor, the romance flavor, but it's, it's tinged with the horror and you get, you know, the moments of comic relief, but it's, it's just a great blend of all of that.
0: Yeah, and speaking of comic relief, it's a good time to talk about Ed, Stephen Jeffries, oh, Ed. who is in a different movie for parts of this movie. I don't I there are acting choices made here, Carmelita, that I don't I don't know where they came from. I don't know this guy. I think I've the seen laugh. 976 Evil and he was in that, but I this this performance is out of this world to watch this guy. Go.
1: Over the top. Yeah. It's over the top. That laugh, his laugh is so. I don't. I don't know. Is it if it's genius or if it's, <laughs> it's insane. It's not right on a mistake? that border. I don't know what it is. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, but he's he is the friend that a guy like Charlie would have. The geeky friend that you can kind of rely on cause you need some help in trigonometry class. And maybe when you were kids together, you liked a lot of the same stuff, but you feel like you've grown up now and you know you have a girlfriend and this loser over here is dragging me down. And you know, it, it, what I think is interesting is that they call him evil and it really pisses him off. Like he's like, stop yeah. calling me that. I hate that. And, <laughs> and I kind of feel for the guy too, because he is a sad character. And when Jerry turns him in that, that, uh, alleyway i mean it's he's crying it's really sad and, oh, poor and, thing mean, it's just uh, but it's one of the coolest transformations in the movie too and then what he becomes is unreal I, i've never seen anything like that in a movie up to this point
1: oh it's one of my favorite things that's one of my favorite things well and i you know it's interesting that we open this movie with charlie is watching fright night he's obviously a horror fan, but he still has to go to Ed Mm -hmm. to find out how do you protect yourself from vampires? Yeah. And, and Ed is very much, he's a very smart, capable character. He's a little goofy and he's a little over the top, you know, but he's, he's right. He's a loyal friend and he's right there to come up with a plan to, get Charlie out of this mess initially to get Charlie to lay off of Jerry Dandridge. Cause he doesn't believe him at first, um, you know, and he's, and he's all in, but he, he's also pretty pragmatic and, Rational. It's rational to be skeptical about vampires.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, he's telling him, like, well, you got to get some garlic and get a cross and get a steak and, you know, ha 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 ha. And Charlie kind of blows that off. And then that's where Charlie gets the great idea. Well, I'll just go right to the source. I'll go. It's like the kid in Christmas story. I'll just go ask Santa, <laughs> Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell, who I, I was aware of at this point only because I had seen one of the Planet of the Apes movies or something that he was in. Yeah. But I didn't know him from anything. And now I kind of think of him as the Fright Night guy, you know. And he is the perfect foil of playing this, again, this kind of knockoff Van Helsing thing from a different time yeah. when, when you, you know, and I, I, my wife pointed at that, out and I thought it was great too when he's going to stake the vampire and he's got it backwards, the movie's so cheap, they didn't even reshoot it. You know, it's it, it's funny. <laughs> but this is the kind of guy that would host a show like that, you know, and people act like, oh, that you'd you never watch a show like that. I'm like, I beg to differ. People tune into Shudder just to watch Joe Bob Briggs. I mean, so it's Absolutely. the same kind of thing. But I grew up with Dooley. shows like that too, yeah. Yeah,
1: that was, you know, Elvira. Yes. You'd have these shows like like this. Back when people watched like live television.
0: Yeah. Late night. And
1: after a certain hour, yeah, they would do like on the weekend, midnight movies, late night horror specials. And you'd have a host and they would host it. Like that was a thing. Totally believable. I love that. This guy is a great representation of the hammer horror icons. His name is a mashup of Peter Cushing vincent price mm-hmm. peter vincent and he's you know he, he kind of has this affectation to his voice almost like the transatlantic or like, you know he's got like this accent
0: yeah.
1: a little bit and i love that his house is all covered his apartment's all covered in memorabilia mm-hmm. he doesn't believe any of this stuff he's just an actor he's an actor who had success who is no longer successful who's been kind of typecast into this role and he gets roped into this crazy adventure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's
0: he's trying to blow it off because he gets fired from his job. Like the ratings are bad. And Charlie's trying to talk to him. And he goes like, oh, if there are only a few more of you to watch the show, you know. But anyway, <laughs> and he, he peels off. And so Charlie doesn't know what to do. And what I love is when Amy and Ed go to him. And they appeal to him like, look, our friend is losing his mind. <laughs> You're probably the only <laughs> person here that can talk him out of this insanity. We'll we'll give you five hundred dollars savings bond if you'll come and you know just just convince him that this is all stupid. Just come you know, prove Jerry's not a vampire. You know, give tell him it's holy water. You know, whatever. And they do all those little gags. But what you what what is so neat there is you get to see Amy and Ed like you can tell like as frustrated as they are with Charlie they do care about him and they think like our friend is losing his mind. And he's going to get in trouble with his neighbor. He's already dragged the cops over there. They're going to, you know, arrest him for you know, throwing away forever or whatever if he does that again. So we, we've got to protect our friend. And I always love that in these these '80s movies in particular. Is there's always loyal friends to like the main you know character, and they will go to incredible lengths to try to help that friend out of whatever ridiculous thing they're in. I think about like Ferris Bueller and Slo- oh, Sloan and Cameron, are our, our Ed and Amy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, and they don't have to believe what Charlie believes, yeah. but they're going to do whatever they can to keep him from getting into trouble, getting hurt. I think in their minds at that point is like, well, you know, he's going to get himself into trouble. They don't believe that Jerry Danders is a vampire, you know, but they're there for him and they're willing to go and talk to Peter Vincent, and they're willing to give up that five hundred dollars savings bond and and do whatever they can to help. And yeah. and it's and that whole exchange is really fun because I I love that Charlie went to Peter Vincent seriously thinking that this actor <laughs> would have experience or the know how to fight vampires
0: it, w- it would be like if you and i went and found <laughs> freddie highmore and asked him to do surgery on us you know or yeah. like no like this its not what he's <laughs> able to do
1: this is a mistake <laughs> and so i love that ed and amy they know that peter vincent is just an actor they're not acting him they're not asking him to do anything besides act
0: right just play the parts that you know use just the props play the you know. part and in some way, it appeals to his ego, too, because he's like, I still have the prop of the mirror from this movie. And, yeah. this. and it is kind of fun to watch that. What's neat to watch is when Peter Vincent does show up at Jerry's house and they're going to this big you know, showdown. Because at this point, Jerry has gone to Charlie's house. He's like, I'm going to kill your mother and I'm going to kill you first and all this. and And he's choking him to death. And Charlie has the sense to stab him with a pencil, you know, because it's wood and he just uh, he starts mm-hmm. freaking out and all this stuff. And when he calls him up on the phone to talk smack to him, like, I've already trashed your car and I'm coming for you tomorrow night, you know, while he's getting his hand taped up. <laughs> and Charlie's like, No, I'm going to bring it to you. And he's like, Cool. We don't have to go out. They'll bring him over here. And it was <laughs> what's fun to do is watch Peter Vincent go through all of the stuff that he's supposed to do as the Van Helsing. And he realizes like, this is, I'm so sorry. We were just being rude to you. I I apologize. And it's by total accident when he flips open that cigarette case and he realizes Jerry's not in the reflection. That's what turns him. And to watch him just get totally frady cat and bolt like hell out of there is it's great acting from Ronnie McDowell. It's so much fun.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's one of the great moments in this movie. And it's such a quiet moment. Cause that mirror falls and he notices it and then, you know, he has that change, but he's, he's keeping it to himself. And he was, he was going to bolt. He wasn't going to say anything. Peter Vincent was going to be out of there if they hadn't, the kids hadn't come up and, and got it out of him. Oh yeah, <laughs> what The totally. truth was. And I, and I love too, that, you know, that that's his reaction because you know, for a lot of people, that would be the reaction. I'm just going to put as much distance between myself and this really bizarre and potentially dangerous situation. <laughs> I'm just getting out of here. Yeah. I
0: mean, he, he bolts. So they're running, you know, now, cause they're like, what's wrong, what's happening, you know? And that's when we get the great chase down scene. Jerry turns it in that, in that uh, alleyway. And then we get the seduction scene and the, in the club. And that's when Charlie realizes like, oh, this has now gotten totally out of hand. What am I going to do? So he goes back to Peter and he, he, Peter's packing up. He's like, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> like, no, this is real. I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> I love that he's such a fruity cat because he is just an actor, right? Like you were asking him to do things he doesn't really know how to do. And he's, he's ready to get out of there. And Charlie's like, no, we got to go fight him. And so Charlie leaves and that's when Ed attacks the first time attacks Peter Vincent, and that's a great scene when he burns that cross in his head. And I love that he doesn't get him straight up and down; he just kind of gets him on the sides yeah. like an X, and he brands him. And Ed is so pissed off that he's burned his head like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a great moment. It's and you could kind of see that Ed is reveling in his new power. This kid who is you know kind of a kind of a nobody in his high school, Mm -hmm. kind of a dork, not a lot going on. And now he's a vampire and he instills fear and you, and you kind of get this read on his face that he's, he's enjoying what's happening. And then it turns on him and he, and then he's, he's scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And how, you know, like, how does it work? And his transformation into, into the wolf, which, which is another one of those, things it's kind of drawn from vampire lore from other franchises and like from Dracula in the story of Dracula you know vampire can turn into a wolf can turn into a bat and so it's drawing from that those classic vampire tropes but it's so well done it's really cool when he's stalking down the hallway as a wolf oh yeah and then you know when they they tussle And he gets staked, and then it's like his body is trying to turn back. And oh, it's just really well. Well, Yeah,
0: we got to talk about what happens to set that up, though, because Peter Vincent goes over there to you know (laughs) to protect Charlie's mother, and he is laying in bed with like what I can only describe as like a raggedy end mop over his head. And he turns around and says, well, apparently she's working nights, but dinner's in the oven and he's just losing his (laughs) mind. And I'm watching Roddy McDowell try to act across from that. And the look on his face is like, Tom, I don't know what you want me to do. (laughs) This man is insane. What am I supposed to do with this? It is so bonkers. And when Ed comes after bonkers. they do have a great fight with the the big wolf, your German shepherd running down the – whole way at him. And it is a sad moment though, when he stakes him and you see Ed just whimpering on the ground and he's, yeah. And it, you know, he pulls the stake out and I always thought he was dead, but come to find out he's just left for dead. Cause apparently he's alive at the end of this or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing in a movie, right? Unless you get like visual confirmation of death, There's always that possibility. And so, but yeah, you forget about him. You figure, okay, he was staked through. It's, it's over. Game over for Ed.
0: It is one of the goriest scenes in the movie though. And for 1985, How they got away with that from the MPAA, I will never know. Because especially that time of, of the ratings board, I mean, you had nudity and blood in the same scene. Like, that was X. Like, I don't know how they got <laughs> past that. I, I wasn't able to find anything about it either. Maybe they just were like, whatever, yeah. we're just going to put it out well, and see what happens. I, but, I think
1: I, what I love about the way the horror is done in this movie is that it it kind of slowly builds You get, you know, you you get just the side of the fangs early on, and then you get Jerry transforming in the bedroom, and that, or you know, or we see his, we see the clawed hand. But those are just little moments, and they slowly build, and they build it up until we get to like that scene where it's now it's like a full-on horror sequence, and from then on there's no doubt this is a straight up horror movie. And I love that they've, they've kind of build that along the way.
0: We, we got to talk about Amy's second seduction now. With yes. Jerry. She's in the white flowy dress, right? Very revealing. Her hair still teased up from the club. And Jerry comes in and we get that music again. And the way I watch that and the way I've kind of interpreted that, that now in adulthood is that's Jerry taking her virginity in a lot of ways. Like that's the first person she sleeps right. with. I think that's what we're, we're led to believe goes down there. In addition to being partially turned into a vampire.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And it's, and there's a juxtaposition here, right? Like in the beginning of the movie, um, it opens with she and Charlie making out on the floor next to his bed, like on like a bunch of throw pillows. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> this messy teenage boy's bedroom and and they don't actually consummate at that time cut to this scene with the you know with all the trappings of you know a seduction an on-screen seduction the bearskin rug and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in this really elegant room and she's he's got her dressed up in this elegant dress and and you mentioned you know her hair teased up in the earlier half of the movie she looks very girl next door mm-hmm. and I might be- she i mean she she looked older she always looked older than she was supposed to be playing in the film because that was very common in the 80s But they definitely like the curls in her hair and like the barrettes or the bows, the way she was dressed earlier in the film is supposed to make her look younger than, you know, and and to have her look more innocent. and It's,
0: It's girlish going into womanhood. Right, she's wearing the Absolutely. jumpers and
1: you yes. know, kind of
0: frumpy clothes. She's not really showing herself off, and then she puts on this form-fitting, strapless-looking thing. And yeah. the other thing is that you know she pushes Charlie away in that early scene, and this one she undoes the clasp at the back of her neck uh-huh. and like presents herself to Jerry. And it's I, I don't know. Again, it's a very. You know, Skinamax kind of thing going on because of the cheesy music and everything. But it's also a huge moment because she's so enthralled with this guy and with this vampire that she just gives herself to him. And he didn't have to take her. She gives herself away. And that's a big moment in this movie.
1: Absolutely. And it's, watching it this time, I was thinking about how, you know, how is this movie different if it's if the whole movie is told from the point of view of Amy rather than Charlie would be pretty interesting. I love the movie just the way it is. But I thought about that. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting because she does, she goes through a big transformation over the course of this film and where she starts out and where she ends up a lot happens to Amy and in in
0: the course of yeah, 90 <laughs> minutes movie. here. Well, I mean, yeah. look at what she becomes in the end when she starts vamping out. That's the face on the box art. She gets that hair longed out, that huge mouth, you know, full of teeth, and she's coming for Charlie. And it's you know, my question to you is, do you think she ever told Charlie afterward, like, um, by the way, me and Jerry kind of I mean, just so you know, like it's okay. Cause I, I mean, it wasn't like it's, I know he's evil and he's dead, but you, you just need to know, you know, like you tell your ex, your current about your others. I don't know.
1: I'm thinking, no, yeah. I think she probably didn't. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking she
0: probably didn't. Yeah, it's probably, probably good to leave that one alone.
1: Yeah. I, I do wonder, like, how long do they stay together after this?
0: Right. Yeah. It's sort it's of, well, according to the sequel, not long. Uh, so, yeah. She's nowhere to be seen in the, <laughs> in the sequel the Charlie's <laughs> in college. So, uh, he's got a whole new thing going on in that one. But,
1: yeah, teenage relationships are hard enough to sustain as it is. Yeah. But then, after going through something like this, yeah. I don't, I don't, see I mean, it Sandra drafting.
0: Bullock and Keanu Reeves couldn't stay together after speed. I don't know. You know, if you can't right. you, know, you can't make it through that, then I don't, I don't <laughs> guess anybody had a chance. I do love the showdowns, though, when we finally get Jerry the vampire in, in the house and, the, and Peter and, and Charlie are going after him. Of course, they got to take care of Billy first. And we have to shoot him 100 times and he turns into goo, uh, which is, again, I'm like, Billy's kind of zombie-ish or something, but he can walk around in the daytime. So he's not vampire, obviously, but he's uh, he's definitely yeah. undead. Like it, That was very... I don't know. Strange to see him turn into it Nickelodeon. Is, it's kind of weird. You know, on the stairs.
1: It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And and the movie just isn't. It, it's we're on a train. The train is speeding down the track. They are not stopping to give you exposition to explain to you what the goo is or why the goo is. We are moving forward. So <laughs> you just kind of have to infer.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's Come to your own conclusion, but that's what I like about it is that it doesn't bother to yeah. explain all of it. You no. just get that cool effect where he literally melts down to bones and then just scatters across the floor. And that's when we get to meet the Jerry bat too. What'd you make of that thing? Cause that came out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> it's, you know, I, I love practical effects and I love effect makeup and, I, I love the way it was done. I think it was cool because, you know, back like the old school horror movies, you know, they would, you know, you'd get a fake bat that looks like a bat and then mm. there would be kind of a wonky transition from that bat into a person. It's usually the know, Batman smoke. Tricks. And then, you know,
0: that's exactly. Yeah.
1: You do some camera tricks, you puff a smoke and then ta-da, Dracula. Uh, so I like the ambition of having <laughs> having us get a real good look at Bat Jerry. It's a freaky looking thing. Yeah. It's, it's real weird
0: looking. It's, it's a little it's bit cool. of that gargoyle monster from Ghostbusters yes. and a rat. And uh, there's lots of stuff going on with the Jerry bat. And yeah, um, I don't. I, I think for 1980s effects again. And this movie was not. There wasn't a lot of money put into this movie. And I mean, they yeah. spent, I don't know, three four million dollars making this thing. Really, Um, and you know, after promotion and everything, it went up a little bit more. But still, that's not a lot of money to put into a movie. And the effects still work. I mean, practical effects like that. I do you can laugh and go, "Oh, that looks rubber and cheesy," but that comes out of nowhere and it's had a good pivotal moment in the, in the climax where it's scary. It's scary to think, how are they going to get out of this one?
1: Absolutely. No, I think the effects look great. I think, you know, one of the real tests of effects is when you're watching things nowadays in high definition, like that's where, that's where you start to really see the difference. Yeah in quality and and the effects that really hold up are the ones that you know when we watch them today that even with this different resolution even with these different screen sizes that it still looks good and the effects in this movie look good
0: yeah they really do and we finally get that last showdown in the basement yeah jerry's you know taunting them, going too late guess i'm gonna have to you know kill you in the morning or whatever so he goes to his coffin uh Charlie's trying to fight with Amy. She's kicking his ass all over the basement, which is awesome <laughs> to see. And Peter starts staking Jerry. And that's when he gets up. And I love how they, they figure out, like, we can trap this dude with sunlight. And they get him yeah. in a corner and then bust open the windows. And I, it's a great effect. It's one of the things I've always remembered about this movie is how Jerry gets thrown by that beam of light and it gets that wall and basically burns to a crisp. On that back wall. It's awesome. Yeah.
1: I love it. Yeah, I love that it's work smarter, not harder. Like, you guys are no match for this man in strength. <laughs> Jerry, Vampire Jerry will annihilate you. I'm sorry. You, go, you stand. No chance. Be clever. Use his weaknesses. They do. And, yeah, we get that great effect, which, again, holds up. It looks really good. And it's very, it's very cathartic.
0: Yeah, very it's much. The,
1: it's the big climax,
0: and it it just really works. No, it totally does, and and that's what we want to happen. And Amy turns back into normal, and she's like. What happened to my hair and how did I get this dress? <laughs> you know, like, what? Oh, this is a me. long night, Charlie. What's going on? <laughs> you know? And what what I love is that they walk out of there and it's it's the perfect 80s fantasy, though. You can have this unreal adventure and nobody knows it even happened because it's in a basement. There's no evidence. We're just going home. And when we go flash ahead, you know, week, whatever it's been. So, somehow, Peter Vincent has convinced the TV network to let him back on the show. <laughs> Maybe Charlie started watching a marathon and they were like, Maybe. hey, there's a spike here on the Nielsen's. Like, that's all, you know, give this guy another shot. But I love how he's doing his little bit, setting up whatever movie they're going to watch. And he said, we're going to give the vampires a break, right, Charlie? And he just started <laughs> winking and nodding to him. And what's funny about it is Charlie is giving him no mind at all because he's finally got Amy (laughs) where he wants her. And she's like, yeah, just turn the TV off, man. And they're going at it on on the, the couch. But I did think that was a cute ending. And then only to be, coda stamped with we see those little red eyes yeah did i see that and this time he doesn't get distracted by what's across the way he goes back to the attention of his girlfriend um who maybe is still part vampire and can control him now who knows uh but whatever and then we get that unbelievably weird Stephen jeffries laugh in the background and you're (laughs) like so i guess ed's just peeping in (laughs) yeah ed's
1: Ed's biting his time he's just waiting for his opportunity
0: It is uh, yeah, it's very strange. But then kick into the song, and I, I love the J. Giles band. I think they they're kind yeah. of like knock off Huey Lewis, you know, is sort of their thing in the world. But I thought they did a killer version. This Fright Night song is awesome. I love this.
1: Yeah, song. no, it's good. And and songs throughout this movie that are playing like in the club. They got, I mean, they got some cool bands to be on the
0: soundtrack. Yeah, you get Devo.
1: They got and autograph. Sparks autograph. Yeah. yeah, so, and then you have the cool score to also go with it. So it's a nice mix of, you know, songs that kind of root you in the time, and then also a great score to punctuate all these moments. Yeah, yeah. it's it's
0: good. I mean, again, as as. Theme songs go for movies or whatever, this is one of the better ones. I mean, you know, yeah, we agree. We talked about it on previous retrospectives with different hosts about the song. that went like the Freddy franchise was the one that really leaned into getting a song, you know. And Brian and I still disagree about how cool Dream Warriors is. He hates it. I think it's awesome. But you know, th- <laughs> that's the kind of thing that this song sort of gives birth to is that you gotta have yeah. a cool song. And I love how they don't they don't use it until the very end. And it's just, boom, there it is. And it's, it's a perfect uh, end to all of it. Now, before we wrap up here real quick, Carvalina, have you ever seen any of the sequels or the remakes of Friday? Night?
1: I have not. I, For me, this film is an, even, even with the glowing evil eyes, this is a complete story for me. And so I I didn't bother going to seek out the sequel. Maybe one of these days I'll check it out just out of curiosity. Uh, and then the remake. I mean, I have a complicated relationship with remakes. I'm I'm very skeptical. So at some point I'll probably check that out too, just to see. Because I you know I enjoy Colin Farrell. But I don't know man I, I don't know that you can really redo this well, i I'll,
0: I'll tell you the reason the remake works is because Tom Holland tell is me. still involved in it, and he had that a lot of say
1: matters in
0: it. and Marty Knoxon, who of Buffy and Angel fame, particularly Buffy Fame, mm-hmm. had a, she directed it, she had a lot with it um they, She had a lot to say about this, and they they did a what I would consider to be the smart way to remake a property. You take the elements that work and you just modernize it and you lean in on the mm-hmm. characters that would make more sense now. So there's a lot more mom because Tony Collette's playing the mom. And there's a little less Ed, but you got Christopher Mintz plots playing Evil Ed, which is perfect. And you kind of flip the Peter Vincent character a little bit. I, like I say, the the remake of it is, I don't know that it's as good as this, but Martin Oxen's screenplay, Craig Gillespie's direction and Tom Holland's involvement in it, keep it good. And the fact that they got Anton Yelchin and Colin Farrell to play the leads and David Tennant too – Th- that sells it. Like, it's totally worth a watch. It's a different experience. You sold me. It's a different I'm experience, sold. but it's worth watching it for sure to watch them do this because it's one of the examples I would hold up is like, this is how you do a remake if you're going to do one. Now, the sequel to it, skip that action because that's bad. Uh, the <laughs> sequel to this one is worth watching if for nothing more than just watch like how batshit crazy it really is. Like, it is. you got like <laughs> flying nun vampires and they're bowling at one point. I'm not... I'm not kidding you. It is, uh, it is bonkers.
1: I love nuns. Yes. So as soon as you tell me that there's nuns involved, I'm and in. There's
0: all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff in that movie. So it's, it's worth it to seek out again. I've only ever been able to find it on like YouTube. I think there's you know, different places out there where you can check it out. But Fright Night Part 2 is its own thing. But hey, we got we to wrap up the discussion here on Fright Night. So it's time for final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. Carmelita, what are yours for Fright Night?
1: Well, my popcorn rating is a large, this is a large, and I would say that we can add a little butter on that. I think this is really well done. I think it's really well done. It's fun. It's so rewatchable. I thoroughly enjoy it.
0: I'm going to join you in that large popcorn. This is a blast of a movie to watch and to be a part of. It's just so much fun to go back to a different time you know before we had all the technology we had and stuff like that and again I'll, I'll say the remake does a pretty good job of playing with that even though it's 2011 so it's not as you know up to date as like now cuz cell phones have come a long sure. way in <laughs> 9 years between them but th- this movie is just a blast to to sit back with a bowl of popcorn and just sort of let it run over you cuz what you have in it is somebody Writing and directing it, who clearly has a vision, and he cast a group of people who, for however, found a way to get on his wavelength, and everybody brings it in this movie. Chris Randon's awesome as Jerry, uh, the vampire. And uh, Roddy McDowell is, you know, a a staple of great things. And Peter Vincent and even Charlie, Amy and Ed are are fun in their own ways. They just bring fun stuff to it. So it's a fun movie, totally worth a watch. If you haven't revisited Fright Night in a long time, folks, you definitely need to. So large popcorn from me as well. Carmelita, tell folks how they can follow you on the interwebs and other things that you've got going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter all the time. (laughs) Maybe too much. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd and I, I update that fairly regularly my handle on both is at Carmelita says, and everybody's welcome. I love talking movies with folks.
0: Fantastic. Of course, folks, you can follow the show's social media at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's where you get announcements about upcoming shows. You can find links to our letterbox page as well. We're probably the best list of everything that we've done. Almost 300 episodes in now on this uh, show. And if you go to filmstrippodcast.com, that'll take you to our anchor.fm distribution site. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find podcasts, leave us a, review, share the show with others. We appreciate the support. Carmelita, thanks so much for coming on and being a part of Filmstrip and reviewing Fright Night. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, thank you, dude. My pleasure.
0: Absolutely. So folks, thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon here on Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.